0: Well, good morning. It is a joy for Ruth and I to be with you this morning. It's been a joy for us uh, to get to know many of you over these recent months. Uh, humbling to be considered as yeah to as an associate pastor here to serve as a shepherd to this body, this congregation. We've been praying for you over these recent months. Been yeah longing even for this day. Um, To just gather together. I tell you, as a pastor, this is the joy, right? To see the flock gathered and to see and hear the voices lifted in worship to pray together and to fellowship together. And there's something God intended for this time that you just, you don't get it anywhere else. You don't experience it anywhere else. So, yeah, we just praise God for this time to be here with you. And especially, feel just honored and privileged to, to minister the Word to you, which is what we will do now, if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. This will be where we're spending our time this morning, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, in the trouble of following Jesus. It's our title for this morning, The Trouble of Following Jesus. Verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. This is Jesus talking. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, obey Him. Let's pray once again and go to the Lord together. Well, Father, that is one of the great questions that we could ever ask. Who is this, Jesus? That Even the winds and the waves obey Him. And we pray that you would soften every heart here to hear the answer. You would soften every heart here to, to believe and to trust in this one who calms winds and waves, that when He speaks to us, it would have the same effect, that we would be at peace, that we would be still and know who reigns. If There would be any who do not know you, that you would open their eyes and their ears to this one who is the Savior of the world, the only Savior, the only righteous one, the only mighty one, God in the flesh. So, pray that we would see and believe this one and worship Him, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. Over recent years, there's been a number of articles and books that have been written on what's called the six core human needs, basic human needs, needs like significance and belonging or connection or contribution. And at the top of that list is usually listed certainty, The core human need for certainty, or in the words of Anthony Robbins, the need for safety, security, comfort, order, consistency, and control. The argument is this is a basic, essential human need. And certainly over the past six months in our country, throughout the world, it has definitely exposed that that sense of need, probably among all of us. Everything seems uncertain. It seems disorderly. Nothing in our circumstances appear secure or consistent. Often we feel completely out of control, completely unsafe. So it really does feel like a need. The only problem that we find when we come to this Word of God and we encounter this person, Jesus, is apparently the Lord Jesus Christ does not agree, though He loves us. Though he does keep us safe and secure in his hands, he does not offer the kind of safety, security, comfort that our world says we need, that our world tries to offer. In fact, he often strips that away in order to offer a very different kind of comfort, a very different kind of security, to actually teach us what our needs really are. Because when we turn from our sins in repentance and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross, when we trust in the power of His resurrection for our very justification before God, everything changes for the better. We become new creations in Christ. We become more secure than we've ever been. Our souls united to Christ, filled with the Spirit, we're to enjoy every kind of peace and hope and security beyond fathoming, that's what he offers. And yet, by God's loving design, our earthly lives will be filled with trouble. There is trouble to following Jesus. Not just random pain, but providential pain. Serious discomfort into which he leads us, by which he sanctifies us. In other words, really good trouble. It's a natural temptation for each of us and in our own ways is to to fret and worry about this trouble, to withdraw and isolate, to be angry, to assign blame, to even doubt God's care for us because it's really tempting to think that a God who really loves us is going to insulate us from turmoil, yet He doesn't, though He loves us more than we could ever imagine. So, what I find is we need the Lord to constantly reshape and reorient our view of what it means to actually be loved by God, what it means to follow Jesus, and how He uses trouble for our good, for His glory. Because as we'll see from this passage, that seeing and trusting and knowing Jesus Christ is far more important than a safe and comfortable life. Seeing and trusting and knowing Jesus Christ being found in him is far more important than a comfortable life. God loves us enough to unsettle and disrupt our lives. He's a holy disruptor. He's a good and mighty unsettler just to reveal who he is to us, to prove how much we need him to lead us to true worship. So we'll just walk through this passage and look at really just five points. Firstly, the promise. Secondly, the trouble. Thirdly, the Savior. Fourthly, the point. And then fifthly, the conclusion. Firstly, the promise. We see it there in verses 35 and 36. Let us go over to the other side. That's what he's going to say. Evening came. It's getting late getting dark. He turns to his disciples and says, let us go to the other side. And the statement implies that he intended for them to arrive on the other side. In other words, he's giving them a kind of promise, a kind of assurance. But then realize he gives them nothing more. Only get in the boat, we're going to go to the other side. Nothing about the storm to come. At no point does he promise the journey will be easy. Only just this assurance we're going to get there. We're going to arrive and at this time he's going to go with them. We see it in let us go over. Now later he's going to send them in the boat by themselves in a whole nother storm. That's going to be to make a different point. This time he's going to go with them and we'll realize that's an important part of the story. Notice even how there's a crowd with them at the time of their departure. They're saying goodbye to a bunch of people that they've been ministering to all day. And what that means the day's been long. They're tired. It's getting late. It's getting dark. In other words, this, this doesn't, from a human point of view, seem like the best time for a sort of big storm at sea test of faith exercise, right? We think that should have been eight to five, somewhere in there. But no, tired, exhausted, ministering, getting late, getting dark, getting the boat, we're going over. But the Lord thinks this is a perfect opportunity. The waters on the Sea of Galilee appear very smooth. You notice that? The evening seemed calm enough for sailing. If it didn't, I think the disciples would have resisted it. Some of these men are fishermen. They know you don't go out in the Sea of Galilee in a storm. So everything looks really smooth. Everything looks really calm. Great evening for sailing. There's all these other boats with them. In other words, only the Lord knows what's coming. And they took him with them in the boat just as he was. As we'll see in a short while, that detail is crucial to this journey. Jesus was with them in the boat. None of the other people in any other boats get that gift. So they set out from shore, sailing under the promise that they will get to the other side. But that's it. Which brings us to the second point, the trouble. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, Apparently, out of nowhere. And these men, some of whom spent their entire lives fishing on the Sea of Galilee, they never saw this coming. They never anticipated it. And I think this is an aspect of the story that can be either a great terror to you or a great comfort to you. Because what it means is when the Lord intends to really go to work on our souls to make some great display of His majesty in our lives, there is no avoiding it. No avoiding it. And that either comforts you, knowing you can't control that stuff, or it terrifies you. You can't control that stuff. It's amazing how many roads the Lord will lead us down that seem so smooth and easy at first. Notice that here? It looks really clear. It looks like this is going to start well, but then it's going to get bumpy and hard really fast. We all find this to be true, Right? Great windstorms can arise in your health out of nowhere. Great windstorms can arise in your job and in your workplace. Great windstorms can arise in your marriage, in your family, with your children, with your parents, with your neighbors. And sometimes we can approach life where we try to get it so perfectly lined up, so organized and under control, every box so perfectly checked. that The day we say, I do at the altar in marriage, the day we start having kids, the day we enter that job, that we have some sense of guarantee that this will be easy. And you know, that the Lord is pleased to disrupt it, to unsettle it. Because oftentimes no amount of planning, no amount of preparation, no amount of control can prevent these storms from arising. They are God ordained. They are perfectly tailored for you. They are overwhelming by design. And yet they are eternally valuable. In a little while, we'll see why. And it didn't take long for their vessel to be in trouble. And you can see there, big trouble. Verse 37, the waters were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. That's a serious storm. That's a serious situation. I don't know about any of you, but I've never actually been in a boat out in a great body of water in a storm where the waves are crashing in and we're sinking But I've heard men and women describe it and it sounds dreadful. The idea that you're out… And this Sea of Galilee, it's not a pond, it's not a little lake. Think like Sea of Galilee. Think one of the Great Lakes or something, where they're out there when the waves are crashing in. And this isn't deadliest catch, where they've got like lights and GPS and helicopters that can come and rescue. No, they're on their own. They're out in the middle. This thing's starting to sink. They have no control over their vessel. They certainly don't have control over the storm. They're completely at the mercy of God in the midst of the storm, which is exactly where he wants them. Exactly from the time to time where he wants us. If you just think about how much time all of us spend, how much energy we exert, how many resources we deploy to avoid these exact kind of moments in life. To think about that. How much time we spend, how much energy we exert, how many resources we deploy to make sure we're never in that kind of situation. And and I do believe in wisdom. I believe in planning and preparing. I, I believe in not creating storms for ourselves. Yet too often, we make that a mission of life, and we spend all our days striving without knowing it even against the Lord to make ease of life the top priority, to create our ultimate safe space that nobody encroaches upon, that circumstances are controllable. We kind of have our plan A that if, yeah, God delivers, that'd be awesome, but then we always have a plan B. If He doesn't, we'll be okay. Okay? And the Lord just has a way of just taking away all the plans. Where if he doesn't deliver, we won't be okay. (laughs) If he doesn't rescue, we die. Maybe we've been through enough storms in life that we've decided it's just better not to get in the boat. We've decided, you know what, a life on shore is a better way to live. We've been through enough storms, no more. And yet the Lord in his perfect love for us as his children will sometimes lead us into trouble. No matter how much we try to control our lives and circumstances, the storms will come. John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. Paul said to Timothy, if you intend to live godly for Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. It will come. So if the mission of our lives is avoiding storms, Or preventing storms, or making storms stop, we will probably find the life of following Jesus to be miserable and extremely confusing, and we will experience this Savior as most unloving and out of touch, which is why this passage is here. We will miss, even most importantly, the splendor of Jesus Christ in those storms the glory of our God that he reveals to us in those storms, which is exactly what he's moving these men to do, which brings us to the third point, the Savior. The situation, from God's point of view at least, has been set up beautifully. We think it's been set up terribly. He thinks it's been set up beautifully. They're somewhere far from shore. Waves are crashing into the boat. The boat's beginning to sink. And then here's Jesus, verse 33, not 10 feet away in the stern, fast asleep. That's incredible. He's exposed to all the same circumstances, in all the same dangers, and yet he is conked out. And he's not faking it. He's he's out. He's asleep. And you just have to go, why? What is he doing? I think there's three things he's doing here. First thing I think he's doing is giving a display of true peace. It's the first thing he's doing. The peace that only he can give. The peace that only comes from God. The peace that, John 14, 27, is not as the world gives. Jesus is going to say, my peace I give to you, but it won't be what the world gives. it will be a whole other kind of peace. He's starting to model even here. that Here's what true peace is. It's a peace that is based on the promises of God and the power of God, not based on circumstances. It's a peace that is wrought by the Spirit of God at work in our souls, not smooth sailing. Jesus remembers what he said. We're going to the other side. He never said it would be easy. In other words, he thinks there's a peace that is to be had in the middle of a storm. Now, I'd love to see a Rembrandt on this. I would love to see, you know, a Norman Rockwall of just the picture of this boat out in the middle of the sea, these dark, deep, scary clouds, these wind, this wind blowing, these massive green waves churning, crashing into the boat, the vessel already lisping and going down. And then Jesus fast asleep in just the word peace. That's God's version. And one, the first question I want to ask you this morning is what's your version? What's your version of peace? I know mine is generally... Get in a boat, gentle breeze so that I don't have to row, get the sail up, start moving, calm waters, someone with a violin playing, a platter of food within reach, I don't want to have to get up, go get it, and then just it smoothly sail. That's, that's for me, there's peace. And God goes, no, this is, this is peace. Growing in Christ means relearning what peace is. Where peace comes from. Second thing I think he's doing is exposing the disciples to help them see where they place their faith, where they put their hope, where they found their peace, which, by the way, can only be found when everything falls apart. We never know where our faith is, where our hope is, where our peace is until everything starts falling apart. That's when what's in us really starts to come out of us. That's when who and where our confidence is starts to expose itself. Because again, by now in Mark 4, they've already seen Jesus casting out demons. They've already seen him healing lepers. They've already seen him healing all kinds of people. They've already seen him confront the Pharisees with great authority. They've seen all these evidences of his deity, of his power. And yet when the storm hits, they've never been here before. Stuff starts coming out. So second question I have for you is when storms hit your life, what tends to come out of you? And do you blame the storm or say That's, that was in me? That's why I'm bitter. That's why I'm resentful. That's why I'm so anxious and nervous and withdrawing and isolating and angry and hostile. And that's why I'm getting cold and shut down. And that's why I'm trying to exert more control, trying to get it all together. When the storms hit your life, what tends to come out of you? And you may not exactly know. That's fine. Just ask your spouse. (laughs) Ask your kids. Ask your parents. Ask your friends. Hey, when storms hit me, what comes out of me? What do you see? But mean it want the feedback because you'll find that that's great feedback. That's what God is using the storm to show us what's really, really in there. Third thing I think Jesus is doing is moving the disciples to act upon who and what they believed and who they didn't. It forces them to do something with Jesus. The situation just forces them to relate to Christ. And so that's even a third question I'd ask. When storms hit and Jesus Christ seems out of it, what do you usually do with Him? Do you run to Him or from Him? Do you accuse Him or cry out for mercy and aid? What, how do you relate to Christ in the middle of trouble? So do they leave him asleep and paddle their way out, relying upon their own strength? Do they cry out and wake him and perhaps trusting in what he said while asking him for a little help? Or will they accuse him and challenge the very nature of who he is? That's what the story will bear out. They decide to wake him, but not just wake him, attack him. Not just attack him, but attack two particular things about him. Number one, his love. Number two, his power. Or we could say his goodness and his sovereign control. Verse 38, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, we're dying here. He could have easily just stood up and said, who told you that? Who told you you're perishing? But in their question, we can hear their true doubts about him. Jesus, you're not good and you're not in control. We don't trust you. They're also questioning his wisdom. Jesus, you don't know what you're doing with us. You don't know how to use this for our good. I think that's important to see, too, because those are really the three streams of disbelief that feed every anxiety, every worry that you'll ever know. God is not good, God is not sovereign, God is not wise. That's what feeds our anxieties. If he's in control, he's not good. Or if he's good, he's not in control. Or if he's in sort of good, he's not wise enough to use this. This is important. Because what it really means is the key, the real key to living life in the midst of storms peacefully is learning how to live in those storms convinced of his infinite goodness. His sovereign power his unfathomable wisdom because if we know he's that mighty he's that good he's that wise then truly all of this he will use for our good and his glory always and so Jesus wants to offer them and us a peace that the world can't give A peace that arises not from easy circumstances, not from our wisdom and control, but from faith in who he is, trust in who he is, his goodness, his power, his wisdom, not our own. Which brings to the point, point number four, the point. Verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. In other words, Jesus is going to prove to them everything they doubted he was. He cares. He is good. He is wise. He is mighty. And just think for a minute about all the things he could have done. They could wake him, screaming at him, accusing him. He could have just rolled over and gone back to bed. He could have done that. He could have just let the boat sink, and they have to swim, and he'll just walk on water. And that's how they get to the other side. He could have just let them drown. I'll just start with 12 new guys in the morning. He doesn't do that. He stands up and he actually rebukes the wind and the wave and they cease. He knows exactly what we need, exactly when we need it, exactly how to do it. He doesn't just help. He calms the storm with a word. Not only does he care, but he is totally forever in control. With a word, the wind ceases. Think about all the things you try to do with your words. You're a boss at work, and you're just trying to get somebody to put the pens where they go. And you can't even get that to happen with your words. You're just trying to get your boys to pee in the toilet. You're just trying to get, you know, fill in the blank. And you begin to realize how powerless... Our words are. How much more if you bark orders at a storm? Tell a storm tornado just to stop. Tell an earthquake to stop. And then it does. The same voice that brought the storm, in other words, though the disciples don't know it yet, is the same voice that dispelled it. Peace, be still. Notice what it says, great calm. Not just calm, great calm. Great windstorm. Great calm. Then, after he rebukes the wind, he rebukes them. Verse 40, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Ouch. In other words, he went straight after the real problem. It wasn't his lack of care. Wasn't his lack of power. Their lack of faith. And I don't think he means the faith that life will be easy, that troubles will end quickly. But faith in him in who he is, in what he is doing, and what he is capable of. Some of you may know the story in Luke 18, the the parable that Jesus tells of this unrighteous judge who finally hears the petitions of this widow who's coming continually asking for justice and relief. And finally he just says, you know what? I'm just gonna give her what she wants so that she'll stop bothering me. And and Jesus is gonna tell that story to say, okay, if, if God's that, or if an unrighteous judge is that way, In a case, how much more God? Jesus says, Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's the real question, right? Not will God deliver, but will we believe? Jesus often questioned the faith of his disciples, not to be harsh, not to bring them to shame, but to reveal their true need. Your true need is to trust me, not have control, not have everything ordered, not have all of it where you want and easy, that faith is not a small, flippant thing, which is why we should never say, oh, just have faith. That's not faith. Faith is a massive thing. Faith is something that is not a button we push, but a gift from the grace of God brought about by the Spirit of God, by uniting us to Christ, making us whole creations, and then training and building it every day of your life till you go home. It's a huge thing. And I've always appreciated and been convicted by the line from the great hymn, Be Still My Soul. If you know that hymn by Katarina von Schlegel that yeah, she wrote after her husband or her fiancee died on her wedding day and just in her time with the Lord, that, that hymn came out of great personal pain, great storm in her life. And she writes, Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. It's great. In other words, the waves and the winds, they know who's in charge. They know his voice who rules them. Lord, may my heart know the voice that rules it. Peace, be still. The winds and waves know who rules them, but do I. And do I respond to him in his voice as the very person and voice of God? So the disciples are going to be led to that very question, that very conclusion toward the end of the passage. And it says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So they were afraid of the storm, but they are very much afraid now because someone greater than the storm is here. Now they're really scared. Who then is this? And I think when you realize that's the key question of the passage, that's the point of the passage. This is the climax. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? It's the question for the disciples. It's the question for us. And one of the great answers to this question is in Psalm 107. Psalm 107, though I think the disciples didn't know it, didn't remember it, Answers that very question. Listen to this, Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind. Hear that? He commanded it. He raised it. Which lifted up the waves of the sea, they mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' ends. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. A thousand years before Jesus came, that all. Who then is this, the disciples asked? God the Lord God God in the flesh is in their boat (laughs) that's what this means now the question remains what do they plan to do with him I think this captures the main point of the passage who is this person Jesus Christ and what will we do with him will we trust him will we worship him will we bow down to him will we confess our sins to him We will look to him as redeemer, as savior. No matter where he leads us, will we follow him? Will we be governed by his words? Will his word in my life have the same or greater effect as his word over nature? Which brings us to the fifth and final point, the conclusion. Conclusion is trust in him. Conclusion is rest in him. Conclusion is give your whole life to him. Even though the passage closes with the disciples up in the air a bit, which is the scripture often does that, right? The story just ends. And I think we're meant to go okay, what would you do? Fill in your blank. What would you do next? We're meant to come to this conclusion about him that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And Jesus Christ is good, is sovereign, is wise we can trust Him. We can rest in His presence in the storm. So if you're here even this morning or listening this morning and your faith and your hope is not in the person and work of this man, Jesus Christ, then I would invite you, as this passage invites you, turn from your sin and trust in Him. Because if you think this is a storm, there is a greater storm coming. And that is the wrath of God and that is a storm through which he is your only hope for deliverance. He is your only shelter in that storm. He was crucified to shield us from the greatest storm of all time, the wrath of God. He absorbed the storm. Didn't just quiet it, took it on. He was raised as the evidence that 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 offering that he made, that atonement was accepted. So when he comes from the grave, it's peace, be still. The grave is conquered. Sin is conquered. The devil is conquered. You're a sinner. He never sinned. You deserve death. He died in your place. What that means is you can cry out for his righteousness to cover you. You can cry out, Lord, save me. Help me. And he is a gracious, merciful Savior says, peace be still to all who are in him. So hear his offer of salvation to you. If you even have questions about that this morning, don't run off. Stick around. Come talk to any of the elders or pastors, any of the members that are sitting around you. They'd they'd love to answer this question for you, who is this guy? What am I supposed to do with him? But if you're here and your faith and hope is in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then I think I would invite you, as this passage invites you, trust him more. Give more of yourself to him, more of your hope in him. Find more of your peace in him. Embrace suffering as a means to see and know him more intimately. Because when you really think about it, yeah, these men are different men once they get to the other side. And we can spend our whole lives avoiding these storms, our whole lives not getting in that boat, our whole lives trying to paddle our own way out. And the problem is we just won't come to know Jesus more deeply. Because once you get through the storm with him, once you see him in action, once you let him go to work in the details of your life, once you follow him in trust, there's just stuff he reveals to you about who he is that you'll get no other way. Who will I trust today? Who will I serve? Who will I follow? Whose kingdom will I live for? Whose glory will I seek? Those are questions that we're left with. And that if you are in Christ, then here's the great assurance. You travel with him in your boat. And That, tra- that changes everything. No matter what you're in, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're enduring, Scripture screams to you, Jesus is in your boat. God in the flesh is with you. He's for you. He won't forsake you. And so, if the storm isn't calm, he has reasons for it. If the one who can calm every storm with a word hasn't yet calmed your storm, there's good reasons for it. His love for you is infinite, his power is great, his wisdom beyond comprehension. And so, these disciples are going to be very different men. By the time they reach the other side, now they're asking the right questions. Now they're seeing what their true need is, which isn't certainty. It isn't control. It isn't easy life. Their great need is Him. Union with Him. Faith in Him. Him in our boat. Us in Him. They see Jesus in a whole new way. In other words, the trouble is worth it. The trouble is always worth it. The Lord uses storms of this life to drive us to Him, to cling to Him, to fix our eyes on Him, to root our faith more deeply in Him so that we would all the more rejoice it is coming. There is so much life, so much glory in Him on the other side. Let's go to Him now in prayer. Father, we thank You not just for this passage, but for sending your son Jesus into this world to take on human flesh, to live among us, sinless, righteous, to lead his disciples, to teach his disciples, to model for them where peace is found, what real faith is, to then go to the cross to endure the greatest storm of all time, to absorb your wrath in our place, to be raised for our justification and salvation, so that we know yeah, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We know we can approach the last days and seeing you face to face without fear. Peace, be still. Help us, Father, to believe. Help us to follow. Help us to trust. Help us to encourage one another with these words. In Christ's name we pray, amen.